Hello and welcome to a very special Movie Mouth film and TV podcast. Due to the release this week of the 25th Bond movie, No Time to Die, this is a very special James Bond 007 episode where our regular hosts, alongside some exciting guests, will be discussing the very best of James Bond alongside a discussion on the latest movie, which due to the spoilerific nature of the comments we will leave until the end of the show giving you fair warning if you haven't yet seen no time to die this is m your fearless uncompromising leader who christ i missed the cold war i would absolutely love to blow all of you up with a dozen surface to air missiles should the mission require it m of course stands for mummy uh, oh, no, sorry. It actually stands for Vice Admiral Sir Miles Patterson. Stand down, gentlemen. And as ever, I am joined by my co-host, Henchman. Some would say he's a simple giant of a man with a steel-e determination. A handy man that can complete any odd job. So, of course, we have to codename him after his true skill set. It's hand job. Hi, Phil. <laughs> You're such a prick. <laughs> Hello there. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine, thanks. Yeah, I've sharp, I've sharpened my hat for this evening. <laughs> Jolly good show. It's not the only thing you've been sharpening. Once nope. again, we have an agent coming back from retirement, a grizzled, seasoned veteran with a faraway look in his eye that you might just mistake for senility, but in truth. He's probably just thinking about how to squeeze two Gatling guns behind the headlights of a Mini Cooper S. Sometimes the old ways are the best. It's celebrated film journo and cinema projectionist virtuoso, Chrysanthu, Sean Chrysanthu. Hi, Sean. Where am I? <laughs> Hi, guys. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Very Good very to good. be back. Welcome back. Thanks for Thank joining you. us. And no Bond film would be complete without a bespectacled, nerdy, egghead gadget man called Q, or a jumped-up American agent with nothing but love and secret information to help keep the British end up. It turns out this week, we have all of that rolled into one with American James Bond mega fan and all-round movie nerd, Jason Kim. Hi, Jason. Welcome to the show. I'm honored to be here, guys. <laughs> well, I mean, on that point, you know, how excited are you to be here on, on the Movie Mouth podcast? <laughs> About as excited as I was walking the red carpet on, on the evening of the Tuesday, September 28th. You just got back from the premiere, I understand. I did. How was it? It was just batshit insane is what it was. Absolute <laughs> batshit. And, and uh, so I to start it off, I took a page out of a page out of your strategy, Miles. Uh, when you this past summer, when you booked a last minute flight to in, back to your home country to watch the Euro finals, I was like, you know what? As soon as the premiere uh, information came out, I was like, I'm going to take, a, I'm going to follow Miles' path, and I'm going to book a last minute flight to uh, watch No Time to Die in London. I missed out on the ticket sales initially, but one of my friends, James Davies, his Instagram handle is Do you expect me to talk? Easy to remember. He nice. said, he was like he said hey Jason I have a couple extra tickets do you want to come and I said I gave him a resounding yes booked the flight and the rest is history so to enter the premiere we had to present the negative COVID test 
to get in. So it didn't matter about the vaccine cards, just the negative test. Mm-hmm. And once on the red carpet, uh, the ushers were trying really, really hard to push all the audience into the Royal Albert Hall. But I walked very, very slowly so I could catch all the stars, cast and crew. And I met every single uh, cast and crew member who was involved with No Time to Die. But I missed out on the celebrities who were there, except for Jason Momoa and his family. So I did not see Harry Kane, though some of my friends did. Missed out mm-hmm. on Emma Raducanu, you know, the recent U.S. majors, uh, U.S. Open winner. Missed out on Christian Horner and his wife, Jerry Hallowell, formerly Ginger Spice. <laughs> and, and right as I was about to enter Royal Albert Hall, I did meet up with Britt Eklund, again, who was the Bond girl in Man with the Golden Gun. And I caught up with Chris Corbald and I showed him my government ID to, to prove that I am an actual vehicle engineer in real life. And him and I had a very good conversation about the stunt work that was involved in the film, specifically the Norway scenes, because uh, I'm a chassis engineer by trade. And he talked about why Bond was driving the Toyota Land Cruiser because the body on frame so that it could do more traditional 4x4s, whereas the new Land Rover L663 is a unibody. So it had they were able to build a roll cage better and it was able to do a lot more aerials, but not the traditional four by four, thereby providing more safety for the stunt drivers. So you went deep with Chris Corbold on the red carpet. We're not sponsored by Land Rover, by the way, (laughs) listeners. Um, I think think Bond definitely is though. (laughs) So yeah, I went really deep in Chris Corbold. He was a very nice man. I didn't, I totally forgot he worked on the Nolan films and Batman 89. And I got a nice selfie with Chris Corbold. And I saw Daniel and da- Daniel Craig and Leia Sedu's interviews before I went in. And as soon as everybody was inside Royal Albert Hall, and mind you, these are like wooden seats from the 1850s, so they're not the most comfortable. But it was a very cool to be part of a true British institution. And and the royals and every after everybody was seated, the royals came in and they met up. They talked with each cast and crew, and we saw them talking with the cast and crew on the projection and as they entered into the auditorium the 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 royal band played god save the queen and i thought that was pretty cool it was a very and from a korean american it was a very truly british experience most importantly though did you complete the mission that uh your english friend asked you to complete i did did you slip my phone number into anna diarmas's hand (laughs) i did i did i did did well, you get kicked out for the call, that. Jason? So. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then after that, you what? You toured some of the locations from from previous Bond movies. I understand while you were back. Yes, I did. Uh, so, James, the person who got me the tickets, we drove around all of the countries around Buckinghamshire. So we saw. Stoke, I went to Stoke Park, where both Larry, Daniel Craig's Larry King and Goldfinger were filmed, mm-hmm. as well as the interior shots of Tomorrow Never Dies, the hotel scene which I totally forgot about. I went to Shrublands from Thunderball, the Stoke Poges Cemetery from For Your Eyes Only pre-titles, and obviously the iconic Pinewood Studios, and took a photo by the 007 stage as well as the new sound stage named after Sir Roger Moore, which warmed my heart because that's where they filmed the new Star Wars films or Star Wars shows. Yeah. Very cool. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Sounds like a great trip. Brilliant. And that... And then I and then I toured all the central lo- London locations of both No Time to Die and the past films. I saw that actually. I saw you along the river there, from that famous scene in No Time to Die that we'll come on to a bit later. But no, it sounds it sounds like you had a great trip. 
And uh, we actually got some photos from you that we need to put up. We're going to put those up on our Instagram at some point to show the uh, the red carpet walk and so on that you that you sent us. And those were incredible. So thank you very much for that. And thanks for joining us, Jason. Great for you to, to be on here. I think uh, you're going to provide a lot of knowledge that these two idiots don't have. Um, so, <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm kidding, of course. Uh, there is one film journalist on on this episode. Um, so, agents, at the end of this podcast, I'm going to come back at you with a curveball. I want you to come up with a movie mouth podcast centric title for an imaginary James Bond movie, and whoever wins will get a promotion to double O status. So, please start thinking about a movie mouth Bond title. And I'll ask you what it is at the end of the show. <laughs> so, gentlemen, to get us started off on this very special podcast and get your Bond juices flowing, easy there, Sean, put the drink down, I thought up a very Bond-like interrogation scene. Unfortunately, I won't be tying you all to a seat uh, and smacking you in Her Majesty's crown jewels with a large rope, but instead... I'm going to, in homage to Daniel Craig, who closes out his five-movie stint, ask you some James Bond, Daniel Craig-related knowledge over his first four films. So I'm going to ask our two British agents, Phil and Sean, the questions, one at a time. No shouting out, please, Sean. And should you not get the answers correct, my... American agent Jason will steal the mission away from Queen and Country in the name of the Godforsaken colonies. All okay with that? <laughs> Go for yeah. it. Okay, yeah. let's yeah. let's start with Casino Royale. Okay, so one at a time. So Phil, in Casino Royale, we see James Bond driving. Okay, what is the first car that we see Daniel Craig's James Bond drive? Ever in the history of the franchise. Make and model, please. And no Googling. Damn I can it. see you all on the camera. Um, that's a good question. Five. Aston DB10. Two. One. Aston Martin DB10, which wouldn't be invented for another 15 years. Uh, oh, yeah. Jason. <laughs> it's the Ford Fiesta. Oh, you're so close. You're so close. It's. Or it's a, go ahead. It's a Mondeo. But do you know what? You guys don't have Mondeos in, in America, so I'm going to give it to you. I'm also going to give you a bonus point if you can get the color. Uh, sky blue, light blue. Well, it was silver, but there you go. You lost, okay. you lost the extra point. Okay, <laughs> Sean, in which country is the Casino Royale from the movie of the same name supposed to be in? In Montenegro. Jason? Uh, it's shot in Czech Republic, but it's set in Montenegro, which was correct. a new, new, which was a newly developed country in 2006 when the mm. movie came out. Is the correct answer? Well done, Sean. Okay, in Quantum of Solace, all of you put this as your favorite. I noticed in the uh, <laughs> of, of favorite Daniel Craig movies and favorite Bond movies. In Quantum of Solace, what is Brit actress? This is for you, Phil. What is Brit actress Gemma Arterton's field agent name? Oh my god! Um, you five. <laughs> I don't four. know. I can't remember. Jason, strawberry fields forever. Yeah, otherwise oh, known as Agent Fields. Field. There was a little trick in the question there. Okay, Sean, 
What is the nationality of Quantum of Solace director Mark Forster? I want to say Australian. Jason? Swiss German. Swiss German. Okay. German would be the correct answer. Uh, I don't, maybe he's Swiss. Well. I don't know, but there's uh, definitely German. Definitely not Australian. Page. Okay, Phil, this is an easy one for you. I'll give you the nearest, the nearest answer, okay, if you, if you can get this. How many times does Adele sing the movie title Skyfall in her Bond theme? Oh, man. It's got to be quite a lot. Uh, I'm going to go for like 31. 31. Jason, do you want to have a guess? Uh, 28. 28. Sean? Well, by the time I've got through all the Eiffels and all the apple crumbles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's an apple crumble. Oh, I don't know. Um, yeah, 23. Hang on. Jason, you said? 28. Uh, Sean's right. Well, he was closest anyway. It was 17 times. Oh. Because she, she does say Skyfall and then it repeats Skyfall. And, it, you know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's quite a few times. How many times did she say crumble? No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Get an eyeball. Sean, I don't know why you've got all the easy ones. Sean, who was the director of photography on Skyfall? Oh, God. Oh, oh. Director of photography on Skyfall? Um, you've gone from Skyfall to Crumble pretty quickly here. Yeah, blimey. Don't worry, oh, Sean, I, I would as well. De- Four, Deacons, let's throw three. him out there. Go on, let's have the Deacons. correct answer. Well done. There you go. Okay, Went Phil. To the same school as me. Phil, if I can see Phil sweating. <laughs> be out of in, my misery. I'm not going to know. <laughs> in, we're nearly there. In Spectre, which WWE wrestler plays the henchman sent to Annihilate Bond and Madeleine Swan? Oh, it's Batista. Bonus point if you can tell me his character name. Oh, I can't remember his character name, but it is Batista. I'm sure of it. it that is, what's his first name? Uh, Dave. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Jason, character name? Hinks. Correct answer. Well done. Uh, At the end, this is for you, Sean. And the final question. At the end of Spectre, Andrew Scott's C quips that M stands for moron, only for Ray Fiennes to retort, at least we know what C stands for. What does he eventually say that C stands for? (laughs) I know, kind of thinking. I kind of remember thinking he just didn't need to say it. He should have just left it. We know what exactly. six stands for, shouldn't it? Yeah. But, oh. I'm going to give you a little hint. Mm. He has emptied the bullets out of Andrew Scott's gun. And Andrew Scott tries to shoot M, but of course it's empty. That's a clue. Um, <laughs> um, um, three. <clots>. Two. <laughs> Clots. <laughs> <laughs> At least we know what C stands for. Yeah, Clutch. I've got your bullets. <laughs> Jason, no, I, I, it's not there. Uh, careless. Correct answer. Well done, James. Wow. Jason, you have proved yourself to be the mega mind when it comes to all things James Bond. He runs well, away I, with the points. Can I just say I, I, I'm going? I actually quit. I'm, I'm quitting. The, the podcast. <laughs> Jason's the new host of the co-host of the Movie Mouth podcast. Okay, welcome, welcome to the Movie Mouth podcast, Jason. Phil and I are going to start a Sopranos podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness me. 
Okay. Um, in keeping with this pod special, and as huge Bond nerds, we all put together a list of our favourite Bond movies, moments, surprises, characters, etc. I have now ranked in order of most popular. So I'm going to get us started off with what we all thought were our favourite Bond movies, and I'm going to ask you guys just to explain some of your some of your answers. So having ranked this uh, in a top five format. I'll get us started off. Number five was Goldfinger. Sean, you put Goldfinger down. What does this film mean to you? Oh, it's just iconic, isn't it? I mean, going back to when I was a kid, um, that would be kind of, that was probably, my dad brought me into Bond, I think it was a case for a lot of guys that their dad's introducing to it. And that was kind of, I just seem to remember being on a loop through my childhood, really. And it was just everything that encapsulated Bond then, and to some extent, I suppose, now, the cars, the girls, the larger-than-life. Um, yeah, and with, with that with that theme as well. Um, I don't think you get... Mm. I don't think you get better, better big-screen Bond, certainly in the Connery era, than, mm. than Goldfinger. Mm. It certainly feels like a Bond film, doesn't it, from mm. beginning to end? It's got that true mm. Bond feeling beyond any other movie i would say personally um and certainly set the template um so goldfinger at number number five number four this one for me came in from the cold so to speak this was jason's number one ranked movie spy who loved me jason oh i mean to me just as what uh sean just said to me spy who loved me encapsulates everything that's bond locations barbara brock's one of my favorite Bond, Bond girls of all time. Lotus Esprit, Lotus Esprit submarine is that scene is what inspired me to be a vehicle engineer in real life. Cause like when I watched that as a five-year-old kid in Korea at the time, I didn't know what James Bond was, but I was like, man, that scene just always had a huge impact on me and turned me into what I am today right now, both as a Bond fan and as a vehicle and a spy. engineer. And a spy. Yeah. <laughs> and Sir Roger Moore said it was his favorite Bond film too. And nobody does it better. Hey. Awesome. Couldn't agree more. And then also high up on the list uh, in the next spot. And by the way, sorry, this is top six, by the way. I think I said may have said top five. Uh, we I had to increase it due to uh, some of the ranking issues that we had. But uh, the next one that came up was Thunderball. Phil, you put Thunderball down in your list. You want to talk us through why you chose it so highly? Yeah, it's just... For me, it's like one of those films, along with a lot of other Bond films, but it's one of those films that I watched when I was younger. It's it's just the scale of it. Like, mm. It's just like um, Bond films for me, like this one being way up there, it's the scale of those like uh, those earlier films that is just incredible as a cinema experience. Like the sets mm. uh, are mad Like for, for you know... So many of the scenes of this, Connery's brilliant in it. It's just, yeah, it's just, it's. It was hard to put together a list of a top five, to be honest, because it was, it was like mm. they're all, yeah. their own entity, but, and I like parts from each one, you know, even the the the, well, bad ones, you know, so, yeah, for me, it's just sort of that overall scale thing it's just that it, one in particular. It's funny you say that because when I looked at the the list that we all put together. <laughs> We all have what appears to be very similar tastes, but then 
once you get to kind of three, four, five, they all differ. So there's definitely these Bond movies that we all hold to such high acclaim for more personal reasons. So yeah. it's, it's, a, it's really interesting to see it. However, saying that, number three on the list, three of us agreed with, thinking that this was up there in the top five, and that is the latest installment, No Time to Die. Phil, do you want to just talk a little bit more about that as well? Yeah, again, I think it's just, as I said in the last episode of the podcast where I reviewed it, I think it's it's the sort of culmination of you know Daniel Craig's films, but it's the mm. culmination also of bringing Bond into the 21st century. It's just, it, it's modernised it in the perfect way. Mm. Um, you know, you've still got all the harks back to the good stuff that we want, you know, the gadgets, the vehicles, the, you know, the amazing uh, locations and sort of globe trotting, you know. Uh, but it's just brought it up. It's the action's realer you know the fights look more believable everything everything just looks more believable the stunts get mm. better and better you know they've always been good in bond films but mm. um yeah and i think it's uh, and i don't think and as we'll discuss later you know it's it, i think it's the only bond where i've ever felt any real like emotion watching it as well um whereas you know they're normally just a uh, sort of stick them on and enjoy them action film adventure film you know it's uh you, cr- you yeah. cried your fucking eyes out basically didn't you <laughs> not quite but yeah it's <laughs> we'll it's, come on to it yeah we, we will we'll come so, on yeah. to it. and jason jason as our resident bond expert i have to say i was surprised to see no time to die so high up in your list considering that you've loved bond your whole life and you love these movies so also tell us you know why what it means to you to, to have seen this film I mean, uh, I mean, I, I obviously have the personal bias because I attended the royal, uh, the royal premiere and was the first person to see it in the world. But uh, cinemat- I mean, you and I are huge cinematography fans, and I thought Lena Sang- Lina Sangren, Lena Sangren, did a brilliant job of capturing each moment and each scene. Felt like I was truly there, and that's yeah. what Kerry Fukunaga does very well. That's what he did very well in a uh, True Detective, where I truly felt like I was in the swamps. Louisiana, whereas when I watch No Time Die, I'm truly in a Jamaican light club. I'm truly in uh, the fjords, fjords and mountains of Norway. And I've been to every location in this film except for Faroe Islands, and which I'll go next time I visit uh, my a girl in Denmark. It sounds very so, Bond-like of you, sir. <laughs> well, well you, you guys all know me very well, or you do at least, Mosk. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I've met Jason in a, what can only be described as a bar crawl in Tel Aviv, Israel. And then he popped up again in Jerusalem when I was there randomly. And it was, it was genuinely like Bond and Felix meeting, wasn't it? Over a beer yeah. in a, in a, in a, in a souk in the middle of a, a very, you know, interesting and uh, romantic location, Jason, but not between us. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> number two on the list. So I'm going to talk a little bit about this one. Goldeneye, Pierce Brosnan's first foray, and it was really the reboot of, uh, of James Bond after the, the, the two Dalton movies and after the kind of very quip heavy nature of, um, of the Roger Moore years. Um, Goldeneye for me, you know, obviously directed by Martin Campbell, who went on to direct um, the number one, spoiler alert, but the number one ranked Bond movie. Um, I just think that Goldeneye has this real world, earthy, gritty, yet also has this very 
um, upper class feel to it. You know, Brosnan as Bond, I think, was brilliant. That first scene of him running across the dam, jumping off, diving down, and, and making his way through the, the through the facility, uh, teaming him up with Sean Bean as 006. I mean, what a masterclass in in casting that was. Um, also, for me, this ties in very neatly, as it will for a lot of listeners in my generation, which would be the Nintendo 64 game GoldenEye 007 um, and the four-player split screen and playing that game through. Um, and, you know, back in those days when the movie the movie came out and you bought the game and you probably played the game more than you'd seen the movie. So um, I absolutely love everything about it. I'd say the only thing that's dated about GoldenEye these days is uh, the the soundtrack. It's very strange, even though the, the movie was, what, 95? The soundtrack is very 80s sounding very synth heavy Um, it's it's unusual when you go back and go back and listen to it phil you had this in your list as well right uh sorry sorry jason did as well sorry yeah i did yes and then to build off the soundtrack uh because it came out in the mid 90s 95 and it sounded and i felt eric sarah's soundtrack sounded very too closely to the soundtrack of leon the professional which also was done by sarah a year prior, nineteen ninety four. If you mm, think about it, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does put me off watching it back. There's one thing I would change about the movie. I would certainly get somebody in there to to re-record the the score for it. But um, but yeah, there we go. So number one, I kind of gave it away there. Um, but it is interestingly a movie. You know, from the from the last twenty years, it is Martin Campbell again directing, and it is Daniel Craig's first foray into. The shoes of James Bond 007. It is, of course, Casino Royale. Sean, you put this as your number one. Yeah, very much so. I mean, I, my my love for Bond, while I kind of grew up with the films, and as I said, my dad introduced me to those, but the one thing he did introduce me to when I was very young were the Ian Fleming original novels. So I kind of came into both at the same time. So I have a lot of love for Fleming's work. And Casino Royale is a, which was the first book as well, of course. Um, mm. It's a difficult book. It's a difficult read in terms of it's very slight and it's got an incredibly long card game in it. I mean, people moaned about it in the film, but trust me, it's yeah, <laughs> significantly um, pared down compared with the book. So essentially, for, I think it kind of got the reputation. I kind of had it in my head as well, that it was essentially unfilmable. Mm. Um, it just couldn't be done. There just wasn't enough grip to it Mm. and i think considering what i think what they created in that was actually almost it was phenomenally accurate to the book Mm. and yet they managed to take that and expand on it i mean there are even scene for scene beats in it that are straight out of the book um and yet managed to create this much bigger story that was gripping that was real world that brought a whole new energy to bond um, the the parkour chase at the beginning, even just from mm. the opening, which was, I mean, especially then, it was it was it was a car chase on on foot, wasn't it? I mean, that was just like, boom, watching that, and yeah, and I still that's still my go to go to. I mean, if someone if someone said to me, "We're going to put a Bond film on, which one are we going to put on?" At any mm. at any point, you can you can choose one. It would be Casino Royale. Yeah, yeah. I also rank this as my number one. Um, I think that you you talk about the opening going back actually to the cold opener, which is Bond's first two kills um, to become double O 
and also that I made that really interesting choice. I don't know if, if you guys watched this recently, but it's in black and white. Mm, yeah. The cold opening in this movie is all in black and white. It's such a cool idea, and it looks great. The cinematography in this is awesome as well. Um, and and just seeing Bond, you know, take take out his first kill. Um, I remember actually an actor friend of mine. His friend was the actor that Bond fights in the bathroom scene in that first that first scene. It was the first person that Daniel Craig killed, and he just said it was a incredible moment you know to be part of it and and uh and that daniel craig was incredible to work with um there's also they do one thing really smartly in this which as phil was saying earlier it closes out this this kind of series this this part of the franchise the daniel craig franchise and there's a line right at the kind of towards the beginning when um bond is it paradise island jason you, you can tell me where where the uh the resort is allegedly in the bahamas right Yep, that's right. So there's the scene where the, the, the young lady, the wife of the one of the villains, is killed and is found in the hammock and uh, is, is kind of dead in, in the hammock on the beach. And M says to Bond um, a line that I think has resonance for the entire run of his, his Bond career. She says, I would ask you if you would remain emotionally detached, but I don't think that's your problem, is it, Bond? And he says, no. But you see in his eyes something altogether different and that really was the birth of this emotional bond this bond who did care this bond who when women were quote-unquote fridged as they use in the hollywood term killed off for the sake of the plot to, to develop a plot bond never cared but in this season in this series bond does and that goes right the way through to to the final no time to die phil you also had this very high up in your list i did I think it's again. I think it's for the reasons I was saying earlier. It's it, it felt good to and exciting to go to. I think obviously, no, I would have seen some of the Brosnan films at the cinema, but it was good to that exciting feeling to go back to the cinema to watch a Bond film for the first time since you know the end of the the, the Brosnan era to see a new Bond on screen. And again, I just think they absolutely knocked it out of the park with um, just creating that you know as Sean said, sort of being true to that story, but just bringing it completely modern, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny actually, because, because looking at your, looking at your list. So as I said earlier, everybody had their own kind of emotional attachment to certain Bond films, but the one film that you voted on that no one else voted on. So it wasn't unfortunately in the top six was you only live twice. You voted that as your favorite. I did. It was, and again, it harks back to my, like watching it when I was younger. And and again, the whole scale, like the the scene where you've got all like the ninjas dropping into the uh, like the the lair, you know, like coming down the rappels and everything, just and it's just immense. It's just like it's exactly what you want in a Bond film. It's just huge sets that are just unbelievable. Like these, you know, crazy, you know, how the hell would they be built? Like evil layers of <laughs> of the bad yeah. guys that's it's a just... real villain when he's got a hollowed out volcano <laughs> exactly <laughs> and it's just the hundreds and i just I, that's the thing about me I, I love practical stuff in films and stuff like that mm. and i think it harks back to films like that where it was done with hundreds and hundreds of extras uh in huge sets on film stages and stuff and that is just what I think about when I think about Bond films. It's, it's what I want to see. Mm. I want to see all that practical stuff. And I just want to maybe, see... Maybe not so much the practical makeup that we should talk about in that movie, but... Uh, no, maybe not that. <laughs> <laughs> but Moving as an on. overall thing, yeah. <laughs> Great stuff. Moving on. So let's let's go into the best Bonds. So 
can I? I'm just going to ask you all. So, Phil, who do you think was voted as the best Bond? Don't give away your answer, but give away who you think that we all decided on as being the best Bond. Uh, I'd probably say everyone was most likely to say Connery. Sean, who do you think? I'll stick with Craig. Jason, who do you think? I think you guys all voted for Connery. All right. Well, let's see then, shall we? So, at number six. No surprises, although, strangely, Sean, you voted for George Lazenby as your number one. No, I'm kidding, you didn't. George Lazenby, <laughs> of course, is num- number six. Poor old Lazenby. What did he well, I, don't think, I don't actually think Lazenby did a horrendous job, but given the fact that he only had one film, it's hard to put him anywhere else, really. Yeah. yeah. But he never yeah, had a it, chance to do anything with it. It really, it really is. Um, number five was Pierce Brosnan. So I think maybe Pierce gets short shrift because he he was after Dalton, but before Craig, who was obviously incredible, but at the same time, he had an invisible car. I mm. think if he had ducked out after Tomorrow Never Dies, or potentially The World Is Not Enough, and Die Another Day had been better, it may well have been higher up the list. But I think for me, part of the, part of the issue is that he never really delivered on the promise of Goldeneye. I think I agree with you. I think Goldeneye was great. But I mm. think I think he was never given the, the opportunity to really deliver that, and it just it just kind of turned back. I mean, as Bond so often does, it just basically turned back into Carry On Bond, didn't it? With it did. Him. I think it did um, later. Like, I, I loved Tomorrow Never Dies, though. I think that was an amazing. I, 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 I loved yeah. it. I'll agree. I'll agree there with Phil. It works better today than it did in nineteen ninety seven with the rise mm. of social media and yeah. And yeah. I just I, and every I, time I get one of those little keyboards, you know, those little like Bluetooth keyboards. I like to hold it and slap it like Jonathan Price does, you know, when he's pretending to type out as Elliot Carver as the villain because he's in, he's like a Rupert Murdoch, isn't he? He just has one hand that goes, it's like James Bond spy killed in an explosion in the South China Sea. Yeah. Um, but I do, I love Tomorrow Never Dies. Although it's entertaining to see, um, <laughs> to see Piers Brosnan like remote controlling that thing with the with like a Nokia thirty two ten or whatever BMW. in the back of the, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Was, like, with, with his like Nokia, old Nokia in the back of the phone. Uh, uh, is, that, so is, it, is that Stuttgart? Is that Stuttgart or Hamburg? It's in ha- Hamburg. Hamburg. And when yeah. I was when I was in Hamburg, I was like, wait a sec, that's from tomorrow. Never, no, if it's all within it. <laughs> well, the park, so. the multi story parking lot you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> that and when he, when he, but I think the park. Is, We're all doff, the, doffing our yeah. cap to you right now, <laughs> yeah, Jason, yeah, yeah, for yeah. going to the multi-story car park from Tomorrow Never Dies. No, 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 in Hamburg. No, 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 the park itself is actually in England. But like when he drives the BMW out of Carver's base, and when he crash, and then when the BMW crashes into the Avis store, yeah. that's in Hamburg. That all the exteriors are in Hamburg, but the actual oh. park, the storage park, is somewhere in England. I've never been to some mall. I heard. There's still time. Good job. There is still time. There is still time. So moving on. At number four was Timothy Dalton. Um, I'll I'll talk up this one because I actually put Timothy Dalton as my number one. I love Timothy Dalton as Bond. Um, I per- personally, uh, I think The Living Daylights is, is, well, The Living Daylights is one of my favorite Bond movies. Um, have you seen Bond uh, ski downhill uh, in a cello case using a cello as a rudder? You have now. Um, <laughs> but I do really like, I do really like The Living Daylights. I think Dalton brought a lot to the role. He had a very, that very, um, that kind of coldness that, that Craig has 
that stiff upper lip, I think he's very, very good at, um, you know, and I think he, I think he has that, that coldness. I think he plays that really, really well. Schmier Spionum and all that. <laughs> um, Death to Spies. I, I love the soundtrack to that movie as well. Yeah. I personally, License to Kill for me is one of my least favorite, even though it is Dalton. I think Dalton's great in it, but Sean, bless your heart. You put it very, very high up in your list. Yeah, I did. But it's interesting because you guys were talking earlier and it kind of got... I think it also... I think a lot of the Bond, the actual Bond and the Bond movies that you own, also, I was 14. Mm-hmm. I wonder how many guys relate to the Bond movie that was out when they... that came out when they were in or around that age. Right, group. right. Um, so I think, you know, I have a lot... I invested a lot into that film then so yeah. it means again if we're going to sit here and judge it on cinematic terms no it, it'll fall down but for me personally yeah uh it does a lot and kind of going back to to what you said i think you know i think dalton was probably ahead of his time in terms mm-hmm. of what he was trying to bring to bond uh, bring to yeah. bond um the vulnerability for one the fact that he did look like he was actually taking a bit of a kick in at times and you thought oh actually this could go the other way which of course under Moore had never happened no um, so I think, and, and, and again, it'd be that guy, but going back to the book thing, I mean, apparently Dalton was actually had Fleming books on set with him, which he yeah. would be sitting and reading through. I remember reading that, that he would be sitting and referring back to the original, you know, whether that actually panned out as a good thing or not in what came out on screen is another matter. But yeah, I just had a lot of time for it. And, and it exists in that, like, like I say, 14 year old, 15 year old boy sweet spot. But, yeah, you know. well, cr- critics always said, didn't they, that they thought Dalton would be Fleming's favourite Bond. Mm. Is what they what they always said, which I think is quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would like to I would like to add to that is that Desmond Llewellyn, who played the original or the second Q for five out of the six Bonds, he said, you know, he co-starred with five of them. He himself always said Dalton was his favourite Bond that he ever co-starred with. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I think that's interesting because I think. Q in License to Kill, the buddy relationship that they kind of had there when you, it was mentioned before about favourite allies that he's worked with. I love that sequence where Q goes to visit him and it's almost kind of almost on the mission with him. There was just a lovely dynamic going on between yeah. the two of them in that movie. Yeah. I, I think he also, Llewellyn also said uh, that was the most fun that he ever worked on any any of the 17 out of the 19 oh, okay. Bond films at the time. So yeah. It's because he wasn't in a basement for the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, he got to travel yeah, a bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's in the basement now. Um, so Roger Roger Moore uh, is number th- number three. Uh, Jason, you've met Sir Roger. You met him. Yes, I did in uh, the lovely city of Harrogate in York, North Yorkshire. And uh, did so you go to Betty's sec- Tea Room? I did. Good man. Prior to meeting, and I went there again last week in in York. And Roger, Sir Roger Moore, obviously, Spy Love Me was my first Bond film, and kind of like made a huge impact on my life, Ben. So to me, like Sir Roger Moore, as a as a Korean and a non-Brit, he encapsulated everything that was very English from an outsider view. So that's why Sir Roger Moore is very high on my list. And from the three Bonds I have met, I enjoyed meeting Sir Roger Moore the most. And for seven films, he always made the audience laugh. But when I met him in Harrogate, I made him laugh with my Q, during the Q&A. So that was my proud, proud moment in my life. How did you make him laugh? <laughs> Tell us more. So during the Q&A, I asked him, in your debut, you sported a magnetic Rolex watch that was able to uh, uh, attract 
bullets as well as unzip beautiful damsels. Will you sell? Will you sell that watch to me? And he started cracking up. <laughs> nice, good one, good one. And also, of course, he was the basis for Austin Powers, which has given me much of my material uh, when out in the dating world. So, <laughs> so thank you, Sir Roger Moore, for oh, yeah. for that. Um, moving on, we're going to move through these. Uh, obviously, we've got the last two coming up. Uh, this will give away, obviously, who is number one. Um, no surprises, but number two, DC himself, Daniel Craig. Phil, do you want to talk through Daniel Craig, someone that you had very high up in your list? Yeah, he was he was at number two on my list as well. So again, harking back to what I said earlier, he's done. I was a fan of his before he did Bond. You know, in his other films, I really liked him, but I think he was like the perfect choice. Uh, I can't, you know, imagine anyone sort of that era that I think could have done it. It's, it's easy, easy, easy to say that when he's done five films and you, you're sort of a fan of most mm. of them, but he really did do exactly what it was needed like bring a bit of you know there's still comedy in it but like in the like the less slapstick bond way Mm. and it's refreshing i'm glad there's bond films that exist like the roger moore ones and stuff that are a bit more you know it's so much more corny to watch if you know what i mean but in Mm. in a good way sometimes but it's nice to see modern bond and just him just being more real if you know what i mean bond modern bond modern bond um i couldn't agree more and sean Sean, you had him in at number one your favorite bond yeah i think so yeah um in terms of rewatch i think he brought more to the character i think he expanded the character um i appreciate connery created the character on screen shall we say and i think for a long time it belonged you know it belonged to him and it's hard it you can't take that away from him but i'm not sure where the connery journey began and ended shall we say whereas i think with craig he created a a real authentic believable james bond character that existed on screen and and especially you know the success of it in spite of i'm sure you guys all remember the outrage of his casting you know all the the james blonde stuff that was Mm -hmm. thrown at him (laughs) and, and all the kind of and i think good for him and i think i think you know this this is a closing chapter on you know arguably the the best bond period there's been mm. for me so yeah and and jason you so you know obviously moving on our number one pick as you rightly predicted at the beginning of this was sir sean connery so the movie mouth podcast number one greatest bond of all time sean connery you put him in at number two I put him at number two behind Craig because uh, I have a bias for Craig because he was in my city of Baltimore. Craig, the, Craig was in my city of Baltimore when he got the casting call to play James Bond in 2005. So it used to be Connery would always hold the number one spot because he brought a lot of, he just oozed uh, just sex and charisma on screen. But mm. I have a personal bias towards Craig. So that's why Craig kind of took the ledger over Connery. Yeah. And, and, and coming back to you, Phil, Sean Connery yeah. was your number one. He was my number one, just because. And again, it's it's to do with childhood. I always enjoyed the Connery ones more than any of the others, um, and I think he's just he just oozed cool as uh, as a Bond, didn't he? Like he did. every scene, he just wanted to be Sean Connery. <laughs> yeah, and he's just you know. Plus, 
I love him from previous like other films and stuff, but as James Bond, I just don't think he gets much cooler, to be honest. Yeah. Personally, I think you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, was, I, was, I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. <laughs> Losers always whine about their best. Winners go home and fuck <laughs> Miss Moneypenny. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was waiting for that. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's why. We're I all think big he, fans of The Rock. Yes, we are. It's funny as well because I was watching an uh, interview with Sean Connery today um, where he was actually talking about what he thought um, about Daniel Craig as Bond and how Bond would, uh, you know, uh, how how he, how Daniel Craig said he was so heavily influenced by Sean Connery and Sean Connery sort of being really flattered by it and sort of absolutely loving the performance that he'd done. He must, you know, this must have been filmed just after Casino Royale or um, I should think, but yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting to watch that interview of, uh, yeah, just Connery talking about Daniel Craig. But yeah, I did watch that. I did watch that interview back then. It was like, Oh, seven Oh eight. And it yeah. was on the South bank, South bank shows what it was on. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 But yeah, it's interesting. Awesome stuff. So Sean Connery is our number one James Bond, but Daniel Craig came very, very close. Moving on, um, I'm not going to do a top five on this one, but I'm going to ask you guys just to talk through your choices. These were your favorite Bond themes. So your favorite Bond songs that were that were written. And uh, well, Sean, let's get started with you. From Russia, Russia with love. With love. <laughs> Beautiful. And anything Matt Monroe. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'd, I love. Who doesn't love a crooner? But as, as crooners go, Matt Monroe, love it, love it. That opening to the Italian job, you know, days like these, just, yeah. just, just quality, absolute quality. And you, you, you put this on when you're bombing around Suffolk in your in your Mini Cooper. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> how do you know? It is Russian together. Phil, you picked. Uh, what did you pick? Let me let me see here. You picked the song. Uh, oh, interesting. You picked. Nobody does it better. No, I didn't. Oh no, sorry. That was you, Jason. <laughs> that was you, Jason. You picked, spoiler. spoiler. You picked. You picked my own. You picked my own theme tune. Nobody does it better. Jason, what yes. does this song mean to you? I mean, just. I mean, I just love Carly Simon's uh, vocals behind it. Instrument mm. instrumentals, and obviously, I love the spy who loved me. We already discussed that, but I also love the backstory behind it because apparently, Carly Simon did not like Sean Connery, so that's why her song "You're So Vain" is a kind of a fuck you song to Connery. And then she wrote us immediately upon "You're So Vain." She writes, "Nobody does it better about Roger Moore." So I thought that was kind of a that's <laughs> that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's an ultimate troll. I mean, that's an ultimate troll move on her side. Yeah, wow, I didn't know that is. It's a great song, though. It is an amazing song. It is a great song. Yeah. So, so Phil, we actually chose the the same, but I'll let you take this one away. Did we? It was, yeah. What was it? So we got a good taste. So it's a recent one, isn't it? It, Well, Mm. sort of. (laughs) Actually, it's not now, is it? Um, But it's Chris Cornell, You Know My Name, from Casino Royale. Uh, Obviously, it helps that I was a big fan of Chris Cornell, obviously sadly departed a few years ago, Mm -hmm. but such an amazing vocalist and... Uh, you know, a fan of his other work in bands like Soundgarden and and bits and pieces, but it's it was just it it was really cool to hear like someone like that that I'm a fan of do a Bond theme and for it it's it's you know there's other songs that I really like 
Bond songs you know, in the list. It was it was really cool going back through them actually and listening to them yesterday when I was sort of mm. putting my top five together. And it's hard to say this is my absolute favourite because you know maybe it's not, but it's the one song that I'll put on every now and again just because I really want to listen to it because it's really catchy. Yeah, and it's it's absolute brilliant Bond Bond song. It's I love it. I have to say you're absolutely right. This is for me. This is one of my going out songs. So yeah, when I'm. When I'm about to go out and have a good night, yeah. you know, with the lads or, you know, whatever, go out on a date or something, I'll put on You Know My Name yeah. as like my kind of official pump up song. <laughs> too much information yeah. here. I'll put on a uh, tuxedo and I'll prance around the house with a plastic gun. Um, no, no, I'm joking. And throw some, throw some, uh, a deck of cards around the room. Yeah. But um, I think what's interesting about this song, I don't know if, if you guys recall this, but I hadn't heard it until I got to the theater. I hadn't heard this song until the movie. Like I, I don't remember hearing it on the radio. Phil and I, we worked in a in a in a record store and a in a video store at the time, and I don't remember it ever being played. I just remember sitting down and being like, "Oh, so this is the Bond theme then," and yeah. and seeing it with all of the visuals with the cards and the roulette tables and all that stuff, which I thought was amazing. I think that's one um, of the best openers. That's one of the best credits. Oh yeah, it was. It's just stunning. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Com- completely. I loved completely it. Agree. I love that at the end, uh, even though it's not accurate, when this, the number seven card turns in, it shoots the two zeros and says mm-hmm. James Bond 007 status confirmed. Yeah, even yeah, though so. on cards, even though on cards, at least in America, the numbers on the left left corner instead of the right corner. Artistic license. But, that's what they call yes, it. Yes. That's, what they, that's what that was. <laughs> that's what that was. But I mean, I can tell you from a ranking perspective, going through all of this, you know, my name was voted as, as number one. Interesting. So, I will also go. just go, while I didn't actually put it on my list, I, I was torn between that and The Living Daylight. So if I'd gone that way, then I was torn between Daylight. Yeah, <laughs> Living Daylight was my number two, actually. Yeah. That was my number two. <laughs> just, I think because it was the Bond theme that I lived with the longest when I got into Bond. Because exactly, yeah. Brosnan didn't come out till Goldeneye. That was 95. And so I had a big what, old gap, yeah. Nine, 10, 11 years before. So Living Daylights was like my my theme. Um and also License to Kill, of course. But yeah, um, okay, so moving on. Um, we talked about our favourite Bond villains. Um, I think, you know, we can probably we can probably skip the, the, the top five or not go into too much detail on the top five. But I will just say number five was Jaws, played by Richard Keel, um, who had a few options. I would have said he was a henchman, but I guess, he's, mm. I guess he is a villain. Uh, yeah. Number four, Le Chiffre, Mads Mikkelsen from Casino Royale. I think this is an interesting one because... He's actually, again, we talk about Bond, Daniel Craig being the Bond of the 21st century. The Chief is also the villain of the 21st century. If, if you remember, he's actually a middleman and he's treated like a middleman. There's even a scene in Casino, in the Casino, where the, um, the people that he's taken the money from to gamble with come to his hotel room and beat the shit out of him and kill his, try to kill his girlfriend or wife. You know, so he's, he's quite a weak character. He's quite a weak person. But he still has that level of sinister about him. I think mm. Mads Mikkelsen, this was probably a career-making mm. turn, wasn't it, Jason, yeah. for Mads Mikkelsen? Uh, yes, he was, because uh, in Denmark, my Danish friend said Mads Mikkelsen's the type of person who plays a lot of like father figures or like misunderstood, awkward people, kind of like what he did in the recent drug or time to drink in uh, Denmark. And he plays another a lot of round. like... Yeah, another round. round is what it was. Yep. He plays a lot of very grounded, like innocent characters and then and he did a complete 180 and played a very sinister villain. And that's what Hollywood has typecasted him since then. 
Mm. He never would have been Hannibal if it wasn't for the Sheaf, I'm sure. He was brilliant oh, yeah. in Hannibal as well, so yeah. Mm. Yeah, he was. Mm. Yeah. So, okay, moving on. Number three, Christopher Walken himself. Two mice. Was Zorin. <laughs> <laughs> From a view to a kill. <laughs> you know. Jason, you had Zorin in your list. I also had Zorin in my list because I love the camp blonde villains the best. <laughs> yeah, if I did too. Uh, I, even though View to a Kill is not very high on my list film-wise, I thought Zorn, the character background of Zorn was extremely very interesting. And yeah. and, I, and Christopher Walken delivered very... Uh, he delivered. He was able to deliver very sadism of a Bond villain extremely well. Like when he says, oh, call 911 and tell that there's a fire. And then he says, oh, but that doesn't And then the guy's like, what does that mean that and Christopher Walken says, yeah, dead, and he shoots him straight up. And I just love that scene. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. I actually I've Zorin's high on my list. I also had a view to a kill on my favorite list. And that's because I grew up in West Sussex. And the this the blimp scene, so the, the bit with the mine when they go to the blimp, that scene is supposed to be in, I'm guessing, San Francisco somewhere, or it's out there somewhere. Yeah. But they filmed it at the Amberley Chalk Pit in West Sussex, which was right by where I, I grew up in, in a place called Little Hampton and in the South Downs. And you could go there. We used to go there all the time. And my dad would be like, oh, you know, this is where Mayday and Zorin and Bond are all, you know, running out of the mine and all that kind of thing. But I, so I watched that film a lot when I was a kid, but, but Zorin is, is, is high up there. Number two, closing time, James. Sean, you can talk a little bit about Sean Bean, even though he wasn't in your top five. What old scene Bean? Alex Trevelyan. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that was, a, that was a, like you said earlier, that was, a, that was a good choice, wasn't it? Picking him at that point. Mm. Yeah, bringing in Goldeneye, bringing in, you know, one of the more very much established TV and to some extent film guys of the moment, wasn't it, to play opposite yeah. Brosnan. And that kind of about face of, you know, dies a hero and then returns as nefarious, evil ways, struggling now to actually remember his motivation in that it's been a while um J- jason but, will tell you he, he was definitely yeah. his number one on the list <laughs> yeah uh because uh, like he was a leans caustic so, oh that's right yeah, yeah yeah and so he wanted to avenge against the british government that's right yeah yeah or his parents were leans caustics is what it was that's right i like i just like the fact that there was a 006 and that he featured so prominently at the start and that you know they were working together as a team and all this kind of stuff mm. i loved all of that and then the turn of the character, I thought was I thought was great. Yeah, nice um, twist. But yeah, yeah. And and number one, and I think what's interesting about this top five is that our list was peppered with more recent villains as opposed to the more classic villains, which I think were perhaps have perhaps been parodied too much mm. in in recent culture and subculture. So number one was Javier Bardem himself, Raúl Silva from Skyfall. Mm. Yeah. I yeah, I didn't like him as much as I think. Bardem's like amazing, an amazing actor. I love a lot of his stuff, but I don't know. He was one of the least memorable ones for me. Just, just it's like that slight I, element of being slightly sort of salacious nature to him. I think that just kind of made him that little bit. Yeah, he's actually genuinely creepy. Yeah, he was. He? But yeah, also with, with the humor as well, which kind of made it for me. Yeah. There's that homoerotic scene as well between him yeah. and Daniel Craig, which which he yeah. I, I I think he played this very, very very well. I think it was it was it could have been too silly and it yep. could have been it could have been too creepy. 
and and he went somewhere in between the two. He, he was kind of for me. He was kind of aiming for a more comedic Heath Ledger Joker. Mm. There was that yeah. kind of element that 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 you know maniacalness to him. And I actually watched Skyfall yesterday, and I my sentiment was the same as yours, Phil. That I think that he was not that memorable and a little unusual and all that kind of thing. And some bad CGI work with his palette and all that stuff. Mm. If you remember when he takes his teeth out, yeah. Um, but he's brilliant. He's re- he's a fantastic, especially I think when you look at the likes of Rami Malek, who we'll come on to later in the show. Um, he's actually a very, very, very good actor, and he plays his part really, really well. And I think it's really actually well written when you when you watch it again and you kind of think about the bigger picture of these last five Craig movies. I think it might be because, like, in a way, it's sort of a similar character because No Country for Old Men was had been out like not that long. Uh, and it's sort of like he plays that sort of really creepy <laughs> bad guy yeah. in No Country for Old Men as well. I thought uh, maybe I just found Sugar. it a bit similar. I don't Sugar. know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I I love Javier Bardem. I think he's a brilliant actor. But yeah, I don't know what it was about that. I, re- I ranked him pretty high because I specifically liked, loved all the lines that he delivered, where, mm. whether it was the monologue about the rats on the island or yeah. when he's testing Bond to do the marksman you know, shoot the a whiskey, the scotch glass off uh, Severin's head up. He says, I can't believe it. Is there any any of the old 007 left? And that's not just referring to Bond, but the franchise as a whole because it was celebrating the uh, 50th Brilliant. anniversary with Skyfall at the time. Mm. Really good point. Really good point. Well made. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So he was our number one. Raul Silva was our number one Bond villain, which, which for me was a shock, even though I had him mm. fairly high up. But uh but yeah so okay we're gonna move on we're gonna we're gonna round out these final these final points now the last one is in homage to daniel craig or should that be sir daniel craig we'll find out um and his final role as james bond in no time to die we wanted to rank his best movies from one to five number five so this there was a this was a real toss-up here uh between two films in particular but number five was in fact Quantum of Solace. Now, I'm not going to ask the people that vote, that didn't like this movie. I'm going to ask the people that preferred it to another movie as to why it's not their least favorite. And Sean, I'll start. I'll get started with you. <laughs> I thought you would. Um, yeah, I, I don't think. I'll go with Quantum first. I don't think Quantum is a. I wouldn't even rate it a good movie. I don't think it's a bad movie. I think its its production issues are um, it was hit impacted by the writer's strike at the time. I seem yep. to recall, so it was badly impacted by that. I think Craig himself has admitted that it was. I think he actually described it as a shit show. He didn't be making it. I seem to recall. <laughs> um, but for me, it's just a short, sharp punch in the nose of a Bond movie. And for me, um, I find it very much to be the third act in the two acts that make up Casino Royale. Mm. Um, could have been done better, but I think it closes, well, at the time, closed that storyline, shall we say. Um, so I will take it over Spectre, which I is one of my, quite possibly is actually my least favourite Bond film of all time. We'll come um, on to that. We'll, we'll, come on okay. to, we'll come on to that. But I do just want okay. to stay on Quantum of Solace for a mm. moment. 
Sorry. I want to also just just answer your point there around um, this closing out the the kind of Casino Royale. It's very much seen as a Casino Royale one point five, isn't it? Mm. It's almost like the mm. you know the deleted scene or the bonus track that kind of continues the theme. However, Mister White does escape, so yeah. there is there is still yeah. an open thread beyond that movie. Of course, the you know the the kind of main protag- uh, antagonist from from Casino Royale towards the end. Mm. Um, I I just think that this movie is, and I, again, I watched this yesterday. If you watch the action scenes, I think director Mark Forster almost wants to take a step back from the action. A lot of the action scenes are played without sound, without music, without gunshots, without almost, and almost played with. In, in, there's, a, there's a scene at, a, at an opera where it's played with the operatic move, uh, music over the top of it, which was, uh, I think, done so much better in one of the Mission Impossible movies at the Aust- uh, the Austrian um, opera, um, uh, opera in Rogue Nation. Rogue in Rogue Nation, Nation, that's right. Yeah, yeah, in Vienna. Um, but this scene in, in this movie, it just doesn't have any emotional punch. There's even a moment where Bond's fighting two two or three guys in an elevator and the camera is looking through the vent of the elevator at the fight below, which is a cool shot. But again, without any sound to it, it's just it feels like Mark Forster just, just said, look, what I want to do is shoot this movie, but I'm not really interested in the action stuff and I'm going to take a bit of a... A step back, and whether it was the second unit that were directing these or the first unit that were directing these, I don't know. But it it it's very unmemorable. If you try and remember anything that happened in this film, it's very very difficult to remember what is actually going on. I just all I remember is a desert base at the end with um, Matthew Almeric and um, Gemma Arterton covered in oil on a bed. That's pretty much all I remember when I think about this. And the car chase at the beginning. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So, coming up next, there's not going to be any surprises. Number four was Spectre. Jason, you had this fairly low down in your list as well. It's fairly low on my list, but I still I still enjoy it to this day very much. And it was the first Bond premiere I ever attended. So, I didn't walk the red carpet in 2015. I, I stood fan side, so that's why it holds a special place in my heart. And I ranked it higher than Quantum of Solace because... I love all the outfits in this movie that Bond wears specifically. So. <laughs> Phil, Phil, and I, Phil. Bought, I bought the suit, the exact suit that he wears in Mexico City with the blue, uh, with the Navy uh, pattern, check pattern suit. I bought that exact suit. When he steps out onto the, uh, onto the roof, that yeah, single shot, that. That's, that, single, that single shot at the beginning of this movie is, is fantastic. And it was, of course, the DOP was Hoyt van Hoytemer, who went on mm-hmm. to be the DOP for Nolan on Dunkirk. Mm-hmm. Um, was fa- a fantastic kind of single shot. Was obviously stitched together, but I thought it was a really great, a really great opening to the to this film. And I, I know Phil, you put this very low down on your list. This was your least favorite. Yeah, I did put it low. I, again, for me, it was just one of the sort of most like least memorable ones of the newer ones i just mm. i think with such a strong start with casino royale i i'll be honest i did get a bit like although as i said they're all good in their way i think i did get a bit like less bothered by the releases of them like as you know after like quantum of solace and then i was and then spectre uh, yeah i just got a bit more I mean, Skyfall was the most successful British film of all time. Did it was, I know, yeah, uh, yeah. And I remember, you know, I remember seeing it, and I, I, it's, I've got nothing like major against any of them at all. Like I, you know, I, 
I enjoyed them all when I went to see them, and I did see all of them. But yeah, for me, Spectre was just sort of a bit, just the one I've enjo- personally just enjoyed the least, I think, out of the newer yeah. ones. Yeah. And Sean, you, you shared those sentiments. You also had this as bottom. Yeah, I, I think part of the issue, and you just kind of mentioned Skyfall and the success of Skyfall there, and I think one of the things I really liked about Skyfall was but at the end of Skyfall, it was really set up with, you know, we've got a new M in place, we've got Bond ready to go on his mission. And so instead of going on a new mission, for me, it almost felt like Spectre just made, made the whole world Bond mm. world smaller by just revisiting mm. what had gone before. Um, to some extent, devalued that as well. I felt that was the moment where Craig could have been unleashed. And that's kind of one of the, my, one of the things I do have about the Craig era. For me, Craig's never really been given the license, so to speak, to actually get out there and be Bond. Because he's always been caught up in these convoluted storylines, and I just would have liked to have seen one film, maybe, where he just started got a mission. You know, the old school: go in, get a mission from him, and go out and do it. And I but think, I think, I think, to, I think Skyfall is the closest to that. I think Skyfall yeah, is yeah. the closest yeah. to it because if you if you watch all five of them in mm. in a few days, like I have, yeah, I don't yeah. know if you guys have done it, yeah. but I've been I've watched all five in the last few days. And I, I can I can tell you that the one that really sticks out as different from all mm. of them, other than Quantum of Solace for its for its issues, but mm. for for the benefits is is Skyfall, which is number three. Yeah. And if you if you watch Skyfall, like you said, it has that beginning, that start, middle, and end. And it's almost like director Sam Mendes came to this and wanted to move away from the quantum storyline, move away from and not mm. talk about Spectre. Yeah. It, it actually yeah. it actually jettisons yes. a lot of that. Yeah. yeah, and it's 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 kind of a, a, a kind of breath of fresh air in the middle of the, these these films, yeah. and then we go back to do it all over again. That's what that kind of what Spectre yeah. felt like to me, and and also the point point in Spectre that actually did actually anger me when I was watching. Actually, was was a storytelling decision that was made, and the the shocking reveal when you find out that Doctor Evil and Austin Powers are actually brothers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just remember thinking, "What yeah. really?" Yeah. Adopted yeah. or otherwise, but <laughs> yeah, I think that was definitely Inspector. That was definitely something that I took away from it. That was my least favorite component mm. was you know, that he was the the foster brother for two summers yeah. with Hans Oberhauser, who would become, of course, Ernst Stavr- <laughs> Blofeld and blah 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 blah. I, I I agree. That was probably my least favorite part. But it was trying to do trying to pay homage to the films of the past. I think it was trying to to do that. But you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, Skyfall was pretty high up on. I think it was third on everybody's list. Actually, um, there'll be no surprises on on who had uh, on who on who the number one spot is. Um, but any other comments on Skyfall? I guess I'll go, I'll just say something quick. As I used to rank Skyfall as my number one Bond film from the four, before No Time Died, but then now that we have five Craig films, I think it's a sin to rank Casino Royale below number two so that's why i put skyfall as number three <laughs> that's yeah that's i think that's fair enough so yeah. no time to die is in at number two the latest bond installment we're going to talk a little bit about that i think you know obviously in, in terms of spoiler tones but but you know what why why is everyone ranked ranking this one so highly sean i'll get you started um I think I think we kind of we've touched on a lot of the things already that we've said. I mean, it, it encapsulates I think all that's great about Bond of past. There are great nods to Bond's past. There are, um, you know, even if it's even just down to paintings on the wall, 
of of former incarnations of of M, um, and I think it's got a fantastic Daniel Craig performance. Mm-hmm. I think he actually, you know, he brings it in this. He he owns Bond he, from mm-hmm. from the opening. He's yeah, I am James Bond. This is my character. Okay, there's no larger. You can tell this is this is the end game here. I would say, and and I think I think it's just. It's everything that's been great about the Craig era encapsulated into one movie. Mm. And and actually, in terms of what it builds on from Spectre, arguably makes Spectre a better movie mm. <laughs> uh, in terms of the overall story arc. I, I, I agree, and I'll, t- I'll tell you why. I noticed something in, in Spectre yesterday when watching it. The Madeline, uh, Madeline Swan actually talks about mm. killing someone mm. in her house when she was a child. And that someone came to her home to kill her father and her father wasn't home, but she wasn't banking on the fact that she was upstairs playing and she kept a gun. Her mother kept a gun under the sink next to the bleach. And I hadn't seen Spectre, I think, since I saw it in London when it came out. Mm. And I remember watching the opening coda to uh, No Time to Die, you know, this week and that whole scene and, and noting the first ever flashback in a James Bond movie. And not tying it back to Spectre, but having watched Spectre again, it's actually it actually makes a lot more sense. Yeah. They've actually, yeah. like you say, they've actually improved Spectre by releasing No Time to Die, and that's why for me Spectre was above Quantum of Solace than than it was for for a lot of a lot of you guys. Um, that's a really really good point, Jason. You know, obviously you you went to the premiere of this one. Um, but it's it was very very high up on your list as well, so it was good good to know. And obviously Phil as well. I think you you voted this in your favorite in some of your favorite bonds. I also had this up in my favorite top five bonds. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. And of course, no surprises. Number one, which we've already discussed, was of course Casino Royale for Daniel Craig, just his opening role. So guys, I guess we've said all we can on Casino Royale. Uh, we've got a lot more to say on uh, No Time to Die. So. Um, there you have it, our favourite Bond moments. And uh, for our listeners who are interested in our review of No Time to Die, please feel free to go back and listen to episode 31 of the Movie Mouth podcast where you can hear Phil and I talking about our thoughts. But of course, as we couldn't go into any spoilers on that episode, we wanted to discuss this movie in more detail. So for those of you that haven't seen it, please go away and watch it. Have you gone? Are you still there? I'm going to spoil it. Holy fuck, guys. Bond is dead. What the what fuck the is going fuck? on? What? 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 <laughs> no! <laughs> what? James Bond gets killed? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Jason, yeah. Jason, as our Bond fanatic, how do you feel knowing that James Bond is now deceased? I will say this, like, when... When I was watching this at the Royal Albert Hall, there were a lot of applauses throughout the film, such as the gun barrel, or when Bond arrives at MI6 with with, with uh, Johnny Mars playing the guitar theme with, to the famous Bond theme. And there were a lot of applauses throughout many of the brilliant scenes in No Time Die at, at the premiere. But I'll tell you this: nobody clapped at the end of the at the end of this film or when Bond died. Yeah, and uh, and my immediate reaction was. I need a cigarette after watching this film, and I don't even smoke. That was my first reaction. <laughs> You're on me, and but but upon repeated viewings, I've come to I've come to peace at this ending, and I actually like, and I thought it was a very good ending. Yeah, as, yeah. A, as a massive um, bomb fan, as a, 
Yeah. As you guys know, I work in an independent cinema, so we've been doing a lot of screenings on that. So I've kind of been by the door as people are exiting or people just sit in there. The number of people who are just kind of in their seats, just like numb. shell shock. You can see it exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I loved doing that actually when I worked at a cinema. Like in back in the day, it was it, watching people's reactions to a film that yeah. you'd seen. It's really interesting, but yeah, I can see why. Like when I walked out of the cinema, I went to see this with my dad um, last weekend, and uh, yeah, it was just like you know the ending happened. It was just like wow, that's I didn't expect that, and it's everyone just left in silence. <laughs> like you know, was, the normal yeah. chatter and stuff was a bit like. It was definitely a depleted level, for sure. Yeah. yeah, it's great as well because though you can tell the people who know their bonds because they're waiting to see if it comes up at the end of the credits. Which is exactly what I did. If it comes up, which is exactly what I did. And you see everyone there just kind of going, "Oh, thank you, God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, I sat, we sat in the IMAX right till the end with yeah. maybe a handful of people. And then, and it comes up and it says, oh, you know, distributed yeah. by Sony. They really MGM. keep it to the end. And I was like, it's, right. <laughs> it's not coming up. It's not coming up. And then it goes dark for a few yeah. seconds. Yeah. And then it says, James Bond will return. We'll and return. I was like, oh, my yeah. God. And the woman next to me was like, my God, he coming back. Motherfucker, yeah. he's dead. Like, that son of a bitch, he died. He made me cry. <laughs> but obviously, he's going to, he, James Bond will return as somebody, somebody else. And we'll come on to that later. But, yeah. um, but you know, I think I think this film it had a lot of twists, a lot of turns. It was, you know, it was a long film. Mm. It had possibly one of the best openings to a James Bond film ever in Matera, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Jason, have you been? Did you happen to go to Matera at any point? I have not. That was on my uh, list of my itinerary initially, but then uh, because with COVID, I had to restrict. It. I had to restrict this trip solely to the UK. But yeah, yeah. I got a lot of Matera advice from your friend. Uh, what's his name? What's his name? Uh, not Felix Leiter. Which, <laughs> no, no. Which Mark? I got. I got a lot of advice from Mark about ah. no, uh, Matera. Matera. So he gave me cool. a good itinerary. So I'll do that whenever in the future. And just seeing a DB five put through its paces like properly put through its paces like that that was goosebumps yeah 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 i i also i also liked the um the whole double cross thing Mm. so there was there was actually what was really smart in the writing and it was great to see um the the two previous directors the the, the two previous writers that have written all the last six or seven uh wade and purvis and wade purvis purvis and and neil purvis here that they that they come back and and written the, this movie, but then they'd also been sprinkled with obviously some really exciting add-ons that we'll talk about. Phoebe Waller Bridge, of course, was brought in as well. But what I loved the twists. There was a there's a moment at the beginning when Madeline Swan, who you immediately don't trust because she's with Bond and you know something's going to happen, and the lyrics to the song you've already heard, so you assume there's a double cross. But she writes a note about missing somebody in French. And with my basic French, uh, I knew straight away that she was writing the secret that she missed somebody and burns the note, burns the secret. And I had assumed that it was going to be Rami Malek because, of course, from the opening scene where you see Rami pull her out of the um, out of the under from under the ice. And and of course, that turns out to not be true. She's obviously talking about you know her parents or her mother or, or whatever it might be, which I thought was just a really clever little turn and there's a few moments like that in this where you assume 
it's going to be one way or another. Madeleine's daughter, Mathilde, who you assume at first is Daniel Craig's daughter, but then you think, oh, actually, is she the daughter of the American spy that's double-crossing? Because he also has blue eyes and blonde hair. And then, of course, it turns out that she's Daniel Craig's daughter. So it's just all these little these little nuances that they that they had in there. Mm. Um, Phil, so you, I know that you you're a big fan of of action scenes. What were you, what were your favourite action scenes in this? Uh, I just love that whole chase through, you know, when he sort of, he gets, he's on the bridge, he gets chased to the bridge and he ducks down behind the, the, like that small bit of stone that's there while the cars yeah. and the motorbike, you know, and it's in classic Bond fashion. It's like, where the fuck have all these motorbikes come from suddenly? <laughs> they yeah. just appear, they know exactly where he is. Um, but yeah, I loved that whole like chase scene and the, you know, the car in the square where he just, the hand breaks it and does the mini gun through them yeah. out of the bonnet, like everyone. Um, that was good. I also really like the chase, uh, in, um, when he's in Norway and it's through like the mm. forest and it's that really moody, mm. like foggy forest. It felt a bit like a raptor chase, didn't it? It felt a bit Jurassic it Park. Jurassic Park um, yeah. Oh, so I'm not the only one who said that. I, I, that's what I thought. That's what I thought initially too. And that's what I was explained to a lot. Of people. Yeah. But it was really well done. Like, and, and again, like All the whole is raptors with freaking laser beams on their heads. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, like the the whole chase, like lead up to that, where he's like absolutely putting that car through its paces, flying it over the mm. thing, really nicely shot from above. You know, like drone footage or whatever, helicopter or whatever, however they did it. Mm. But it was really nicely shot that, like across the, you know, when they're going across the 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 rivers and just yeah, it was completely off road and. Yeah, I really, chased by nothing but Land Rovers and Jaguars. Yeah, this movie. Yeah, <laughs> shiny, as, as shiny black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it was interesting hearing you your sort of mechanical reasoning for choice of vehicles earlier on because while they were using defend the new all new Defender to chase him down, it didn't do brilliantly against a pretty old Land Cruiser. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. true, actually. It was a pretty great Toyota ad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I won't go too much into the technical details, but if a if Bond tried to do any of the stunts that the land, the mm. defender did, the car would fall apart because it's a body on frame. So like the, mm. so you know, Living Daylights when Bond laser cuts, cuts the, the yeah. that's exactly what would have happened to the Land Cruiser because the way the chassis is glued on at the or welded on at the end, whereas uh, Land Rovers the chassis is already built into the cab. Yeah, that's unibody versus a. Uh, a body on frame and uh, it's the chassis mouth podcast welcome to <laughs> all things grease monkey no i mean it's it's an awesome fact I mean, the fact that you ha- you stood and had that conversation with chris corbold on the red carpet uh for no time to die in london at the royal albert hall is the reason i'm cutting you off jason because we're all extremely jealous of you um, <laughs> but i do want to get i do want to get into the supporting cast in this because i think mm. this so as we mentioned in our review phil this is very much daniel craig's movie Yes. The camera barely leaves Daniel Craig at any point. It very it doesn't when Madeline Swan gets on the train and she's running through you don't really see her again. You see her very very briefly in one scene. It's the same with with Rami Malek's uh Lucifer Safin. It's mm. the same with with uh, Q and all these other characters. The only time you really see them is when Bond is interacting with them in the yeah. most part. So Sean, you know, obviously bringing back a large ensemble cast for this and you you kind of remember, wow, Ray Fiennes is in there, Ben Wishaw's mm. Ben Wishaw is in there. And, and so many incredible actors and actresses. So what what did you take away from that? Yeah, I thought they could, did a really good job of integrating and giving everyone their kind of moment moment in the sun, as it were, really. Uh, I particularly think, I think they did a particularly good job of building on the Madeline character 
in this mm. one as well, who I did not think came out of Spectre particularly well at all. Um, came out as fairly inconsequential, especially given you know, yes. how important she was to Bond by the end. It kind of felt almost a bit like really forced. Yeah, uh, she said yes. she loved him. She said she loved him in the interrogation scene when uh, Blofeld is interrogating him in the chair, and it's they've only really just met. Yeah, it kind of felt forced, as you say. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think I think what. Yeah, I think what they did with her character, the journey they took her character on, the work they gave her to do, I think she, you know, she had some really good scenes to do. So that that was really my takeaway. Um, from, and you didn't but, trust her either, did you? You didn't trust her. No, exactly. She played that line very yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 How, how about, speaking of the cast, how do we feel about the ably name, this one's for you, Phil, mm. Lucifer Safin as the Bond villain? <laughs> <laughs> who, who was named Lucifer. They decided Lucifer. against Satan and they went with <laughs> Lucifer instead when they decided to name him. Even um, that, they just made a spelling mistake on like the uh, the character list and they just went yeah. with it. Um, I thought he was great. I think he's Remy Malik. I think he's brilliant in anything he does. Um, I think it's a bit unfortunate because <laughs> he did the, uh, the Freddie Mercury face for a lot of it. <laughs> So it's a bit. Um, I was going yeah, to say, why, why? I kept thinking, why is Freddie Mercury being so horrible to James Bond? That's why they put him in a. That's why they put him in a kabuki mask for the yeah. opening scene. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't want people to go. Why the fuck is Freddie Mercury sneaking into this young girl's house? <laughs> Just whispering Dew! into his ear. Uh, <laughs> but no, I thought he was brilliant. I, you know, and that's that's an unfair comparison, but it was. Uh, it was difficult not to sort of be thinking that while I was listening, but he plays um, creepy very well, sinister very well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed. It. I enjoyed it. It's, I like. I liked his mask as well. Scary, isn't it? You know what's? You know what I just noticed is that four out of the five Craig villains were Oscar-winning actors. No, three out of five Craig villains were Oscar-winning actors. Christoph Waltz obviously won it twice. Yeah. Ron Murray for, won it for. Yeah. Diving Bell and the Butterfly, didn't he? He won it first. He won the Caesar Award, but not an Oscar. Oh, mm. so, I mean, same difference, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty sort after role now, isn't it? As well, uh, mm. a Bond villain. Like, who does? Who wouldn't want to play a Bond villain? If you can't play Bond, you'd want to be a villain, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, the, Rami Malek actually said he said that had he not have played the part of of Freddie Mercury and won the Oscar, he would have struggled to go on and take a role like this mm. so he, he felt job. like that was that, well, the that weight really, on his shoulders kind of yeah yeah he, yeah. he, he said this was actually that it was the wind in his sails to be able to say i can do it mm. and he said you know he turned up the first day on set you know as the bond villain and no one knows what he's going to be doing no one knows how he's going to be creating that character the accent all these kind of little nuances about the character and he just said there's a lot of pressure there and he just said you know he 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 remembered his oscar and he said to he said to Denzel Washington uh, around that same time, um, where do you keep your Oscar? Because he was really uncomfortable having this Oscar and, you know, what he was going to do with it. And Denzel Washington smiled at him and said, I keep it next to the other one. <laughs> Class. Love it. Um, but I do, I do think there was short shrift. I think Money Penny maybe didn't get a lot a lot to do in this. Yeah. Q no. maybe had... A lot less, a lot less to do. I thought I, I should thought Q had a lot to do in this film. Yeah, I like or, Q. I thought this. Q. I, thought, yeah, I like Q in this a lot. 
He, I, like, I mean, he I was like... he was agent exposition. He was Basil exposition yeah, exposition yeah, yeah. in this. Was hello, Austin. <laughs> um, yeah, but um, but yeah, I mean, and also, what do you what did you think? What did you make of the new 007, Jason Kim? Of course, of course, J- of course, James Bond loses his double O. He's retired at the end of this, at the beginning of this. And uh, I, I, I genuinely, just it's just number. I genuinely like Lashana Lynch as Nomi a lot. Like I thought she provided a lot of very physical, uh, physical. Uh, physical prowess in her action scenes as yep. well as uh, she she wasn't trying and I like the way the character was written as a very strong female character instead of trying to be quote unquote woke or political correct for like how some other mm. franchises that they focused on creating a strong character instead of trying to make a political statement that's what I liked about but it I yeah. think, but not I think that, that I'm against that but they did bring Naomi Harris in, in the money penny role in Skyfall to mm. kind of do that to be that counterfoil to Bond the wisecracking and the back and forth and that kind of thing and it, I thought it was interesting that they brought in another character to do that and kind of sidelined Naomi mm. Harris who I felt kind of bad for in this in that she didn't really have a lot a lot mm. to do mm. yeah I yeah. guess it's to set up some of the will they won't they yeah, kind of, I think that's yeah, probably what it was there for. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, very true. And I think I think Anna Diarmas in the, the scene in Cuba, I thought was just incredible. She was brilliant. brilliant. The fact oh, that yeah. she outstanding. Was, yeah. The fact that she she turned out and she was ditzy and she yeah. had three weeks of training. Yeah. <laughs> and then she kicks everybody's ass, and it's like what? Wow. Yeah. In and that then dress, goes back to ditzy again. Yeah. yeah. And then goes back to ditzy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Brilliant. 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 Fresh off of Marilyn Monroe, the Marilyn Monroe biopic as well for Andrew Dominic. Uh, it's coming yeah. to Netflix soon, so um, I'm looking forward to seeing that. But I thought she was great. She could definitely have a spin-off. I remember people talking about Halle Berry with um, oh, Die Another Day and giving yeah. her a spin-off. What was her name? Jinx something? Jinx, Jinx, Jinx yeah. Um, but I would 100% prefer to see Anna Diarmas in her own mm. spin-off, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so and then also, you know, we we have here a very, very, very long Bond movie, um, but it didn't feel like it to me. It felt very short shrift. It was a very quick movie. Would you say, Bonnie? Would you say, Sean? It kind of flew. Yeah, by. I think. Yeah, it certainly moved. I mean, I think. Yeah, I think there's no argument to say it's quite indulgent in places, and I think certainly probably in the kind of final final forty five somewhere around there, kind of feels a little bit stretched out there. But it didn't bother me, and to be honest. It was. I kind of got the sense that you know they know this is Craig's sort of his last time at bat, shall we say? Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, we're, we're going to leave him out on the field, perhaps a little bit longer than we should. But yeah. hey, what the hell? We're enjoying it. So you know, I I I, I fully get it, and I, I think. And he great. left it all out there on the field, didn't yeah, he, Jason? God, yes, God, oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the editors of this film, Tom Cross and Elliot Graham, uh, Elliot Graham edited a very brilliant Molly's Game, which was also like two and a half hours long, but that movie flew by really well, as well as he also edited X-Men, no, X2, which is one of my favorite X-Men movies. So like, mm-hmm. I knew going in, even though this movie is going to be two hours and 40 minutes long, uh, you have two brilliant editors who made this movie, you know, move swiftly. And that's what I was really impressed by. Yeah. And that, that final, that final scene, I would say they kind of remembered that they had to have a Bond villain with a Bond base. And Phil yeah. was talking earlier about the volcano base, but here we have a hollowed out island and uh, with a kind of reactor type uh, silo. Missile silo, it. yeah. Yeah, and Phil, you, I know that you were a big fan of the, the climax to this. Yeah, I just thought, <laughs> yeah, again, it went back to the, it's like, yes, I've, I've got the giant 
uh, baddie base like that everyone wants. It's like Thunderbirds, you know. You just you just want something to open up <laughs> out of a a volcano or a cliff or whatever. And um, yeah, I just think it's exactly what what it needed. But yeah, it was cool that it was. It, I, I actually need to look into where where it was filmed or if it was all just sets or if it was actually filmed in somewhere different like that. But yeah, I'd like to. I'd- so the so the sets, so everything interior was Pinewood Studios at at 007 stage, but uh, the exterior is at Faroe Islands, which is an island off of Denmark. Oh, it's off the Faroe. Okay, okay. Yeah. It was the Faroe Islands, was it? Okay, yeah. sure. Yep. I was just going to pitch in a little bit there because I think what a lot of people missed, and being a fan of the original books, one of the books that's never really been given, a, uh, been portrayed particularly well on screen is You Only Live Twice, the film shares basically nothing with the book of you only live twice so I, i'm not gonna i'm not stepping on your favorite movie there Phil. <laughs> um but uh there are there are some elements in this that they incorporated from the you only live twice novel which are absolutely superb and they're really well done oh, okay the poison garden the yep. poison garden is what blofeld has in the book right that's how bond manages to track it down and there's some match there's some lines of dialogue basically lifted straight out of the book including and- the uh I will not. What was it? I will not spend my time. I will not spend my waste my life trying to prolong it. Yeah, I will use my time. Yeah, which was actually Money Penny says that about Bond in the novel. Okay, of you only. So, so, so there's some actual Fleming in there. The die die Blofeld die line that was from there. So yeah, there's some. There are some lovely little touches in there. I but, think you just out Jason Jason on that one. Wow. <laughs> no, no, I was. Gonna, I'm glad that you caught up on it because like I was going to bring that up on because like uh, I think Purvis and Waste that the only novel you have to read before no. Coin seeing no time that is the novel you only live twice. Yeah, twice, yeah. And uh, another element is uh, Kissy Suzuki is also pregnant in the film, yeah. but you never see. It. And then she leaves. She leaves Bond on the train set as well to in the novel as well. So there's a lot of good elements of that novel in yeah. this film. Yeah, superb. That's good. It's nice to know uh, those well read enough can uh, appreciate. It. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's nice. It's nice to see them harking back, though, isn't it? You know, the fact that these guys are still going. Yep, there's still elements we can work in. That yeah, I like that. I love that. Nice to think that Ian Fleming is still, is still in there somewhere. You know. I yeah. mean, the, the, only thing I, the only thing I would say about this film that was supposed to be this big thing is that Bond is retired at the beginning of this movie. But having watched, again, all recent five Daniel Craig Bond movies... <laughs> yeah, he's always... He's always retired. This guy <laughs> yeah. does yeah. not like his job. He, yeah. he, the, every opportunity that he gets to run away from MI6 and Britain, he takes it. In every, all five of them, he does something without being attached to MI6. He is yeah. just, when, just when I think I'm out. <laughs> Pull me back. This, 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 exactly. This Bond doesn't really, isn't really addicted to the duty. No. You know, but the one thing that brings him back, in most cases, is his country. But then it becomes personal. It becomes, it was about M in Skyfall and obviously about, you know, obviously... Um, Vesper Lind in, in Spectre towards that towards that point about getting you know revenge for that and then in this one of course it's about Madeline and his daughter and I thought I think that's really interesting but it is strange to have a bond that is, is literally every opportunity yeah exactly. job shy yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well so is that to... it so he's tried to get out by retirement now he's tried to get out by death you think he's going to be back on the next one but no no we're not having that yeah, yeah. back <laughs> he, from the he, underworld he yeah. literally <laughs> hands in his notice his, his he literally hands in his immediate notice in Casino Royale yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like fuck I'm out of here he becomes James yeah. Bond yeah and he gets to Venice and he gets out his little laptop and he goes 
Dear M, I, I, I quit. Best regards, <laughs> James Bond. Send. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do want to bring up a point is that apparently, because I've talked to people who worked on this film and apparently they filmed three different endings for No Time Die. We saw one of the three. Mm. The other two endings, he does not die. And this is the one that worked best with the uh, test audience and that's why we got the ending that we so, did so what you're saying is is that late one night uh kerry joji fukunaga was sitting up watching armageddon and he <laughs> saw bruce willis in a crater inside an asteroid talking to Liv tyler on a video link and said do you know what that's what we need in our movie that's exactly <laughs> what we need yeah you know and i was literally watching thinking this is armageddon this is Armageddon. I'm sorry. I loved it. But yeah, yeah, it would be yeah. good. I mean, it, the new thing was Bond gets killed at the end of the movie. But there's no way that this Bond, for me, there's no way he could have survived. There's no way they could have. This is the, the perfect end to that whole, that whole franchise. Yeah, that that whole arc. Piece. And yeah, yeah. they can do whatever the hell they want now. What, the so it was a clean slate. Yeah. Because yeah. like one of the endings that they did film and I hope one day we get to see it on a Blu-ray deleted scenes is uh, it ends like Dark Knight Rises where the, everybody thinks Bond is dead and Bond is still poisoned with Safin's nanobots so he sees Madeline and Mathilde playing in a beach but he sees them from afar and he's like wearing a Ray-Ban aviators and this, this film just closes that way and you see that's that is the Dark Knight Rises that's yeah, exactly that's Christian Bale <laughs> sitting at the table and Michael Caine looking yeah. over and going the first part, the first part of my order will be the eggs Florentine. No, it's the bit where <laughs> they look across the table and obviously they have that recognition, yeah. but they're never going to talk to each other again. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a lot for me. There was a lot of the Dark Knight Rises in this. I don't know if anybody else felt yeah. that, but you know, the whole bomb yeah, thing, Batman flying off, they closed it out perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but they closed it out more like Logan than they did Dark Knight Rises because yeah. they. They just left no loose and just I mean, clean slate for the next. Well, it's, the, it's the end of the end of the hero's journey, I guess, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. So if you're taking it back to that kind of mythical sort of yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's funny when you go back and watch Casino Royale. You know, this is the end of the journey. It's yeah. it's quite affecting. Yeah, it's actually. Yeah, it's quite. Yeah, I, I'm going to go and watch it again. I think today, mm. um, just to, uh, having watched the other four. Yeah, and just sit there and. Um, well, I mean, I've, I mean, I've watched it twice now, and working in the cinema where we have to go in to open up before the end of the film, I've now watched the end sequence probably about seven times. <laughs> um, so I'm quite well versed in the, in, the, in the whole ending. But I'm, I will say, every time I sit down and watch it, and um, they, I mean, particularly Craig, he acts the shit out of that whole yeah. end sequence. He yeah. is very, yeah. very good. Watching what he's doing, and again, watching what he's doing, even just like the little facial ticks and things like that when he's speaking on that, he, he does some. He does some really, really genuinely. Good I don't work. think Daniel Craig's ever been better than he is. Yeah. In this mm-hmm. Phil, Phil mentioned oh, that yeah, actually sure. in our review, didn't you, Phil? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and uh, I know it's. I know it's not very relevant. It's not very close, but like in some ways, maybe because of the daughter element and the way he, the character is killed off, uh, it did remind me of. Damien Lewis's Brody's character arc in Homeland and when he gets killed off it kind of like closed that mm. character really well and mm-hmm. I mean series quality aside I thought it reminded me of that too after I came out of the theater mm. yeah I mean Jane. just to go slightly back to the the mm. Fleming thing if I can just very quickly I mean Fleming back in the day always maintained he was going to kill Bond off um, he did say that he would kill him one day and that's where it would end yeah um, but and the the irony there, I guess, being that um, it's not going to end. <laughs> well, no, is that is that <laughs> Fleming, him, 
basically Fleming himself um, in living the lifestyle that he felt that the Bond creator should live, i.e. smoking the drinking and this, that and the other, actually ended up dying very young. So there's this kind of notion that Bond actually killed Fleming before. (laughs) <laughs> Fleming had a chance. <laughs> so, yeah. kind of, you know. Also, you know it's going to end. It wakes way too much money for it to end <laughs> as no, a franchise. Yeah, 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 <laughs> they're yeah. they're going to they're yeah. milk it dry. <laughs> of course, yeah. of course I right. wonder how long it's going to be. But you know, obviously, in keeping with the code, uh, at the end of the movie, James Bond will return. <laughs> Who and just quickly, who's going to be the next Bond? Mm. Jason. I have two choices. Uh, and one's more popular than the other. I my vote's still Richard Madden or Josh O'Connor play Prince Charles in The Crown. And my my thing is I'm I'm 33 years old, but I'm 33 years old. Just to reveal, um, are you throwing your hat in the ring? Bond- <laughs> oh, I'm 33 yeah, years old. Um, get in, yeah, just yeah. under six foot. Then, you know, I can. Never say never. Say never. I've seen you working out. I've seen your gym videos on your Instagram account. Yeah. I see. I know what you're getting in shape for. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, never say never. So I think the next Bond actor will be about my age, give or take. And Richard Madden and Josh O'Connor are like between my age range. I think it will. I think it will be a younger actor. Phil, yeah. who, do you, who are you thinking? Who would you like it to be at least? Well, it's been out there a long time and the name's been floating around. But I honestly do think that Idris Elba would make an absolutely amazing Bond. I'm such a big fan of his. I just think, but maybe he's on the older end of the spectrum, and maybe we do need a bit of. He's probably the same age as Daniel Craig. Yeah, he must he? be. So yeah, maybe they want a bit yeah. more young blood in the role. Perhaps I don't know, yeah. but I would. I would love to see Elba do a Bond film. I think it'd be brilliant. They've talked to Onya, and you're talking about, um, you know, obviously change, changing the casting from from single white male. Um, they have talked about the the gentleman. I can't remember his name. Jason, you can probably help me out. Or, or, or Sean is the, the lead uh, actor from Bridgerton. Reggie John Page. Correct. They've talked a lot about him potentially um, stepping into the. But role. he's, but he can't do it because he just signed to play another. He just signed to play another Roger Moore's role, the Saint. So he's going to be busy with that for a couple That's of years. Right. So he can't play. He yeah. uh. So maybe when he's. Maybe ten years from that he can, but so he can follow Roger Moore's path. Yeah, perhaps. Um, Sean. Uh, well, the one guy I've kind of liked the idea of for quite a while now is James Norton, um, but I think, well, I think you know, given his roles, he's showing he's shown he can do very dark. He's shown he can do light, and I think that kind of treading that middle ground is important for Bond. Mm. But again, I again, you, you know, the age thing I think is way beyond, and I think. Um, I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if they end up going kind of twenties, mid twenties. I think they might go very young. Yeah, I think to to, to bring Junior. the tip. Yeah, and to and to give that give legs to the next person who's coming in. Mm. I mean, either way, the sad, depressing truth is the fact that the next James Bond is going to be younger than me. I have finally reached that age, <laughs> 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 that depressing moment in life. That's yeah. very true. Maybe and I think some other people on this pod might be there. As well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely there. <laughs> Wow, I got away with point. it longer than you guys. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I liked. I, I mean, obviously, I'm a big Tom Hardy fan. I think he's mm. forty something, forty two, forty three now. So he's probably reaching that age where he would have to be in it quickly. But I think he's he's always wanted the role. He's always been pretty. You know, he's he's built for oh, it. Yeah. I think. Mm. I don't know whether he's suave enough to carry it off. Although, if you look at his role in Inception, I think that was probably his his Bond audition. Um, I like that too. Yep. I think he was. You know, don't be afraid to dream a little bigger, darling. Bigger, darling. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Um, I also I, really I, like. 
I also really like Henry Gold- Golding, who I think is mm. uh, from Crazy Rich Asians, who I thought is great. Um, he showed a completely different side to himself in uh, The Gentleman, that Guy Ritchie movie, mm. where he was actually a villain. But I, I think he, I think he could also be really, really good in the role. And he's definitely suave and posh and and you know well put together. Um, I think he could be a good choice. Call me. Uh, this might be a bit out there, but I mean, part of me kind of thinks, given that we've just had a, an essentially a five a five movie story arc with Craig, hmm. part of me would kind of like to see a return to the standalone adventures, and I kind of almost would like to see them say, right, for ten years, the next three or four years, five years, we're going to have a different we're going to have a different Bond each movie. Well, I wouldn't be against well, that. You're, you're actually wrong though, because I don't know if you read about this. <laughs> But, uh, you know, with the MCU and the multiverse and the DCU <laughs> first, yeah. there's actually the Bondiverse is coming and they're going to CGI Sean Connery and Daniel Craig. <laughs> and they're all going to be having a conversation and they're all going to take on all the Blofelds through all the French. <laughs> oh, God. Another Blofeld variant, sir. Look what they did to Mr. Bigglesworth. <laughs> <laughs> all right, It'll guys. It'll be interesting I- to see what Amazon do with it. I mean, now Amazon mm. own it. I mean, well, we they can't they've help but wonder where are we going with this? Is it you know? Are we yeah. going to get the Miss Money Penny series that we've all been waiting for? You know, I think it's I think it's likely that we're going to see a lot of that, especially when you yeah. look at how this movie was so long and yet couldn't give I think the attention it deserved to a lot of these other characters. I yeah. think it's I think it's possible that we could see that TV and film based universe and the Bond the Bond piece yep. kept for for the cinema. Yeah, um, as yeah, as Amazon right. said, mm. it's a really good point, guys. Thank you so much for joining us this week, for, for joining Phil and I. Yes, thank you. Um, Sean, have you pleasure. got anything else Anything else to say? No, it's been a pleasure as ever. Great. Bonds, bonds in a good place, clean slate. I'm looking forward to what comes next. Thanks, man. And Jason, thanks for joining us, man. Oh, thank you. I love sharing my knowledge and my experience with you guys. Yeah. I just wish you guys were there. That's, <laughs> Me that's too. <laughs> yeah. Me three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe next time. Well, we're all yeah. jealous now. Let's talk about Jason behind his back when he. Gets- <laughs> um, so join us on the next Movie Mouth podcast slice of movie and TV related podcast fun. But before then, please follow our Facebook and Instagram accounts at, at Movie Mouth Podcast and hit subscribe or give us a nice five star review on your podcast player of choice. Phil, <laughs> it's that time again, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is. There's just one last thing to say, isn't there, darling? Yeah. Go on, say it. No, I'm not doing it. Jason, you say it. I'm not saying it. Well, I don't know what it is. Sean, say Jason, it. Jason, go on, say it. Just say no, it. Oh, no, no, it's not my place. Nah. You can have a go. I don't know what I've... <laughs> I thought we were doing Bond titles anyway. Well, you could say it. If you, want to, if you want to say it, you can say it. No, no, I thought we were doing Bond titles. That's what I'm asking you. Oh, sorry, <laughs> right. Lost the plot. All right, Octopody. Oh, good. Good. Jason. M- movie Mountain. Uh, movie mouth podcast never dies. Oh, I like it. That's good. Phil, I got review to a kill. <laughs> Listen, yeah. Jason. As much as I loved you, as much as I loved yours, I got to go with my co-host review to a kill. Phil, you yeah. win it. Thank you. Excellent. Goodbye, everybody. Take care. Grow up, 007.